in Carpinteria, California, a stone's throw from Rincon, at the foothills of the gorgeous Santa Barbara Mountains, inside the Channel Islands Surfboards Factory, posted at eye level for ease of consumption, is a letter. It reads as follows. We all know what we do, and we know how we do our jobs at CI, but more importantly, do we know why we do it? Not talking about for a paycheck. More importantly, the why we do what we do here affects an incredible amount of people other than yourself or your paycheck. Around 1970, Al and Terry Merrick secured a $200 loan, bought a drum of resin and a bolt of cloth, and CI Surfboards was born at 16 Helena Avenue in Santa Barbara. Al would shape a board in the back, glass it upstairs, and then deliver it to the front of the building, where Terry would sell it, one board at a time, in a true mom-and-pop workspace and storefront, the industry leader was built. Building a great board is a constantly evolving recipe of innovation, technology, athlete feedback, dedicated craftsmanship, attention to detail, and old-fashioned sweat and focus. Al has said, The driving force behind Channel Island surfboards is the demand on design created by the world's greatest surfers, allowing for the highest performance surfing possible to provide the most dedicated surfers with the most advanced performance designs is my passion. End quote. For the last 30 years since the Tom Curran era, CI has accomplished the unprecedented task of staying at the top of the performance ladder, selling the most boards of any label and commanding the highest price. Possessing these three factors for such a period of time is a profound rarity in any business. The long list of talented people that contributed to this success all had one passion, to consistently offer the best performing surfboards possible. That passion, that purpose, and that privilege is now ours. Not many get the opportunity to be the best in the world at something. We do. You do. And what you do is important. Being the industry leader means every day that you walk into CI, you're doing things that no one has ever done before. Unchartered territory. The entire industry is watching CI. So take pride in what you do and enjoy the opportunity to contribute to something great. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. That's how we learn and make things better. We're all in this together. So let's encourage and support each other to be the best board builders we can possibly be. Our shared heritage at CI is a rich one that is worth honoring and preserving and pushing forward. We are not only continuing the unique work of Al and Terry Merrick, we are building on it and taking it further. We want you to enjoy your part in this and grow in your talent and craft at CI. We want your time here to be happy and fulfilling as you realize our collective sense of purpose and passion for surfing excellence. If this were just about making money, we would be doing something else. This is about surfing and the love of surfboards and the joy those two things bring into our lives. This is why we do what we do. This is why we are and will continue to be successful together. Go Surfing, signed Scott Anderson and Britt Merrick. End of letter. CI employs approximately 60 employees and 250 contractors globally all of which pay taxes and spend their incomes in their respective coastal communities, many of which pay mortgages and put their children through school as a result of the domestic local board building. Yes, SurfTech 
and Torque are licensees which run their supply chains from Asia. This business only constitutes 3% of CI's revenue, but it does enable Channel Islands to stay in the game. Welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. In this episode, I interview Scott Anderson, the general manager of Channel Island Surfboards. It seems appropriate to discuss the North American domestic surfboard manufacturing industry with the kingpin. Those are my words, not theirs. The Channel Islands ethos, like their patriarch Al Merrick, continues to be one of hard work, humility, and humbleness. Let us begin. Welcome, everyone, of course, to the Boardroom Podcast, and it is a Thursday morning. I'm in Carpinteria at the Channel Island Surfboards uh, factory and home. Uh, sitting across from me is the general manager of Channel Island Surfboards, Scott Anderson. Scott, welcome. Uh, thanks, Scott. Pleasure to be here. General manager, is that, is that, a, yeah, that's correct, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. So I thought it would be fun to talk about a brand, a Channel Island Surfboard brand. Frankly, I can't think of a brand, maybe Lightning Bolt, that's more, that, that's really kind of crossed the lines and transcended regions and transcended the geopolitical world of surfboards. I mean, Channel Island Surfboards. The thing to me about the Channel Island Surfboards is, and, and we touched on this a little bit before we started recording, is these movies that I saw as a kid. I want to say it was like 80 or 81, and it was Joe Mickey and Dave Nadel, and they made these movies, I think Off the Lip, and Off the Lip 2 or something like that, or no? Is it Off the Wall? Off the Wall, thank yeah, you. Right. Off the Wall and Off the Wall 2, yeah. Mickey Nadel films. And it was, re- interestingly, these were the first VHS filmed on video to the mass market surf videos ever. A lot of people think Performers by Quicksilver was the one that went video straight to the mass VHS market. But uh, unbeknownst to those people that might think that, in fact, these two films, at least the first one, actually has a piece of, it's a part of surf history that it was the first video to go to the mass market. And these videos, in my mind as a kid, these videos featured Tommy Curran among other people, Davy Smith and Tommy Kern. And more than that, they, they featured, I remember going, what the hell is he riding? Tommy Kern was on a twin fin at Rincon, just absolutely lighting it up. And, and from there, the CI story starts to unfold, at least for me. I know it's older than that. So why don't you speak to the Almeric Channel Island surfboard brand in, say, the 70s up to, like, into that era? A, l- a brief history. Yeah, well, that's, that's a bit of a tough one because I wouldn't be, like, in this, in this building, I wouldn't consider myself to be the, the consummate historian of Channel Islands. You know, it was 70s and 80s. I was, I was a kid, and I was on the outside looking in. Yeah. You know, my, my, my story doesn't really start here until the very early 90s. Right. Um, so it's a little tough for me to talk, talk about the seventies, but I do know, um, is, is Alan Terry started down there in, on the waterfront on Helena in the early seventies. And, uh, when I came in, in the early nineties, they were still in that same, that same building. And, and we were there until uh, 2008. Yeah. I mean, the eighties were a, a pivotal time for CI. I think there's been books and movies, uh, the movie flow. Right, uh, was was focused a lot on that time, and then uh, Jimmy Medico, who at the time was a Brooks photographer, passed through here last week and showed us a lot of imagery from from that period of the early '80s that that really. And is he going to be <clears throat> producing images from the history of CI? And I mean, he must be sitting on <clears throat> a treasure trove. He is hundreds of images, incredible. Yeah. Uh, 
And yeah, that was part of our conversation because next year will be Channel Island's 50-year anniversary. So we've got to figure out, wow, that's, that's, that's a very big deal. Cool. Yeah, we've got to figure out what we're going to do about that one. 50 years of Channel Islands and Jimmy Medico. Um, and in fact, he's, his imagery is actually a part of if you were a kid in, say, 79, 80, 81, 82, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old kid, those were the images you saw of Tom Curran were mostly Jimmy Medico. You know, you mentioned the Helena, is it Helena or Helena? Helena. Helena Street CI factory, mm-hmm. if you will. Was it a retail shop too? It was. For a, lo- a long portion of that 70s, the, the retail was in the front. Terry Merrick would, would work there and, and, and sew the garments in the beginning. You know, she'd sew shirts and bikinis, and Al would be in the back building the boards. Do we have any of these old classic? Britt does. What Britt- are, are they called Channel Islands bikinis? You know, that's a good question. I don't think I don't know if they were branded. I don't even think they were branded. I think it was just like, hey, you need a shirt. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you, need, you need something to wear. Yeah. And I heard through the grapevine that to get to Al's shop, there was a restroom or a bathroom that you had to pass through to get to a shaping bay. And there was like a, was there a pottery, a lady that did pottery or something? And sometimes she would be using the restroom and it was awkward when you had to walk through the bathroom to get to see Al to get him to shape you a board. Yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> that building morphed over the years. I mean, we had to get to Al's room from the office. You actually had to climb a ladder uh, upstairs through a hatch and then go back down the stairs in the back. And there was a bathroom back there that was shared with other people. So... Yeah, that was part of that that building. It was kind of catacombs. Right, interesting, cool. Um, Well, for me, as I mentioned, the history of of Channel Islands, it it starts with Tommy Curran. I mean, you know, Tommy Curran just, he, he did wonders for surfing in general, not just the Channel Islands brand, but for all of us, I mean, for every surfer um, in California during our era, Scott and, and mine, uh, he was just a big deal, and he still is. I mean, he was just the ultimate California kid. I often say, look, there's Phil Edwards, and then there's Tommy Kern, and I'm not sure which one is the true California kid anymore because they both sort of epitomize style and grace and um, the ability to just kind of be as one with the ocean. But um, So Tom Kern comes along, and, and it's really – just an absolute um, – I mean, it was like – it was almost like um, a perfect storm for the CI brand, right? That just – Tommy just happened to be in our backyard here. And maybe speak to that a little bit if you can. Your feelings on Tom Curran. Oh, well, yeah, growing up, I idolized Tom Curran. You know, he, just the, the style and, and his ability. And, and he was – I think from an early age, he was – his talent was very evident. Um and there are some that say there was, a, there was a stroke of luck for him to land at Channel Islands or wherever you want to put it. But when speaking to Al, you know, Al went out of his way to, to coach Tom and mentor Tom and get Tom to the contest. So it wasn't just like making boards and, and Tom rode him. It wasn't quite that easy. I think Al invested a lot of his time, personal time, in, in, in mentoring and coaching Tom along, along with the boards. You know, sadly, um, Willie Morris passed away recently, and it's my understanding that Willie had a big influence on the Channel Islands brand as well. And, and I was talking to Sam George on the way up here, and he mentioned that, and you can you can remember this too, in California in the late 70s, even into the early 80s, 
it, surfboards and surfboard shapers and the people that rode them were real regional, very regional. If you were in Santa Cruz, you rode a Santa Cruz board. If you were in San Diego, you rode a San Diego board. And, and it even went into sub-regions, you know, like, you know, a guy at the ranch might not necessarily be riding. He might be riding a Bradbury, but a guy at Rincon might be riding a Matt Moore or, or a Merrick or whatever. Um, and it's my understanding that Willie Morris was sort of the first guy. He wasn't from here. He was from the Valley. And he was riding Glenn Kennedy surfboards. And for whatever reason, he hooked up with Al Merrick and, and got a board that was from Santa Barbara. Here's this guy, basically an L.A. guy, riding a board from Santa Barbara. And, and some are of the opinion that this sort of broke down some barriers. And before you know it, guys from the South Bay, Frohoff and Farnsworth and these types and NSSA team riders and guys from Santa Cruz are all of a sudden riding a board that, was once considered, like all boards, regional. And for the first time ever, and probably in big part, not just to Willie, but to Tom Curran, it's okay to ride a CI board. It's the one board that's okay, that's, it's, it's accepted to ride it because all hail Tom Curran. If he rides it, he, he can do no wrong. Therefore, I can ride this at my, at my local break. Um, any thoughts on Willie Morris and his impact on the CI brand? Well, I think the way, way you said is, is accurate. You know, he helped, uh, bring owl shapes and further them to the south into, into the valley and, and south bay and so on through his visibility but to your earlier point where regional shaping I've, I've heard that uh talked about before and and the story that that i was told is was a person that came on the scene here was sean thompson and he was the one that, that brought a twin i believe it was to to al and I don't know if that was from Spider Murphy from South Africa or who it was, but he brought that board to Al. And, and uh, Sean still lives down the street from me. He still comes in here a lot, still part of the, the crew, so to speak. Uh, and, and that was Al's first uh, real uh, glimpse of outside shapes coming in. That was brought by, by Sean. And, and Sean came here in like 79 or something yeah, late, like that? Yeah, late 70s. Yeah. And so he started. He started riding the Channel Islands, the Almeric surfboards yeah. on tour. Good question. Don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, the seventies, eighties. It's all kind of. I'm not. I'm not the resident historian right. here. Right. Right. Okay. Good. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but when we do talk about brand ambassadors, um, obviously Tom Kearns, in my opinion, he's the big one. And you've got the fifty years coming up, and I imagine that. It, in many ways, it's a celebration of Tom Kern and Al Merrick and the CI brand. I mean, there's so many people in your family. There's so many people that you've touched in a positive way that it's really going to be a, a fabulous celebration, in my opinion. I mean, this is a this is this is kind of a it's 50 years. It's a landmark deal. I mean, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, what are some things that are on the whiteboard regarding how we celebrate 50 years of Channel Island surfboards? You know, not not a lot at this point. We know there's <laughs> we're a book. To, we're trying to figure it book. out. Either we're talking about a book. Uh, like I said, we spoke with Jimmy. Um, it would be an opportunity to tell tell the story of, of CI. I don't think it's been uh, told well enough so so far. Um, you mean to say that the movie Flow didn't do the movie the best flowed, job? Yeah, I touched on it. Right. You know, I touched on it. Um, but there's, there's, the story, there's so many layers to that onion that, yeah. it, that is Channel Islands. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many stories and so many people have been involved and. And Al was, he always, his philosophy was to, it was about the surfer. It wasn't yeah. about him. Yeah. You know, Al being probably one of the most humble people 
yeah. person I've ever met. Yeah. It was he always deflected praise yeah. and deflected uh, attention back back to the surfer, and I think that's what made him great. Is yeah. he wasn't thinking about himself; he was thinking about what the needs of of the surfers are, and that still holds true. That's our philosophy today. You know, it's really about what what surfers need or, or, or want, and that's what what drives us. Yeah, there, gosh, there's so much. You're right. There are layers, right? I mean, look, there's some there's some sort of negative history regarding Al back in the '70s. That's certainly part of the story because you. It may be the in fact that that some of that humility sort of came upon Al during that tough time in his life, and from there, you know sort of what you mentioned, a humble man, that all of a sudden things are starting to fall into place for the C.I. brand and for Al Merrick due to his humility and his humbleness. And, um, and of course, Tom Kern. It, it, it's interesting. Uh, do, you, do you hold Tom Kern as closely to the brand as I do? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I mean, and does Al, do you think? Uh, I, I would say, yeah. I, I think um, Al is a, does a good job of, of detaching. I think he can step back and, and look at things and compartmentalize. So I think he holds Tom as pivotal to the brand, and all, but probably also to that that era, you know, as Kelly had his era and so on. Yeah, you know, Al's, Al's unique in, in that way that he can he can step back and have perspective. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of Kelly, obviously, the, I guess you wouldn't even need to argue this. Tom and Kelly, the two largest or most um, Influential. Thank you. Yeah. Influential ambassadors for Channel Island surfboards. In let's say Scott, in ten years or fifteen or twenty years, and you look back on the Channel Island story, and maybe you can do it now because we've moved along in history quite a ways. Um, who of those two, Tom Kerr and Kelly Slater, who do you think has a bigger impact on the Channel Islands brand? Who is number one? Oh, that's gosh! Put me on the spot with that one. <laughs> uh, good question, man. That's hard to say. You know, I, I, nostalgia and 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 the current landscape. I would say Tom, but you know, I, who knows what that'll be twenty years from from now? Like you said, but you know, Tom really was the launching pad for the brand. It kind of set the table for for everything else. The blueprint. Taking what what we did with Tom and expanding that onto the, the rest of the athletes that came down the line is kind of where it all started. Yeah. Um, obviously, Kelly has a much greater competitive story, but Tom being 805 in Santa Barbara and really come out of this region, uh, I think that that might get him the nod. I you know, I don't know. That's a tough question. Well, look, <laughs> I get it. I'm with you. We're yeah. from that generation, and it's okay. And it's good to have an opinion about it. And, um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that Kelly has a, a greater competitive career or resume, perhaps. When you look, and if you look at numbers, pure numbers, that's a no-brainer, of course. He has 11 world titles. Who knows where he's going? He's, he's won the Eddy. He's, he's done well at Mavericks. He's done it all. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is that year that, Tom went from trials to champion, which gets overlooked. I, people don't even realize that he had to go through the trials of yeah. every single event just to qualify for the main event and then went on to become a world champion. That's something that I'm not saying, look, 
I'm, I can't pass judgment on whether <clears throat> Kelly Slater can do it or not. I would bet that he could. I'm a huge Kelly Slater fan. But that's something that's sort of overlooked. You're right. Strangely enough, that's never talked about, the trials to title. You know, I think there's a movie out there called Trials to yeah, Title. Yeah, Sonny. I think Sonny Miller was involved right. in it. Right. Amazing story. Now, that year, was he, he was riding some different boards. He might have been on some Maurice Coles. I'm sure he was on some of Al's boards. He was probably all over the place, as Tom can sometimes be. Um, but that might be something that you look at for the 50 years, you know, like – Touch. I mean, there's like you say, there's no, so many layers. So much. What are some of the layers? Give me some of the layers of the CI story. Well, I mean, the, the layers are you know, the chapters, so to speak, just are, are probably closely tied in with design. You know, that would be as a board builder, that would be the easiest way to, to make chapters. That you'd go through single fin, twin, and the thruster era, and then people talk about like the potato chip era, and then now we have um, where everybody rode two-inch thick surfboards, for better or for worse. Go back to the single fin era, to the twin fin era, because it interests me. Remember, I, think I wasn't of, around in that era. That's okay. <laughs> I barely was too, but but I think my, I'm interested in, when I think of Santa Barbara in 1977, I think of, you know, Yater pintails and Bradbury pintails in the ranch and beaver tail wetsuits, and not necessarily like um, a hotbed of design breakthroughs. Now, this could just be me being, and I could be way wrong. I mean, you do have Greeno in this area. You have a lot of stuff going on. Um, but it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems like Al sort of um, thought outside the box a little bit relative to this region. Um, you know, he, we saw Tom on the twin fin. Al really refined the tri-fin. He put the triplane hole. He had those mid-channels in some of those mm-hmm. tri-fins, the yeah. little bump squash. And he's... He sort of pulled in the tail. He made it uh, – he refined the trifin a little bit, you know. And I don't know where I'm going with this other than I'm hoping it pops some thoughts into your head about his ability to – for Santa Barbara, he's, is it true that he's thought outside the box a little bit from a design perspective? Absolutely. Al, having been around him for the first 20 years I was here and watching him shape, he – I guess his gift was to be able to visualize the way water ran over the, the surfaces of the board. Uh, he would often talk about, we talk about fins, and he'd take like a, a, a flat-sided stick through water versus a round stick and how they behave differently in, in water. So he had this ability to conceptualize how, how water moved over surfaces. And also he would, he would uh, glean from boards that were brought to him. So I think Sean brought him a twin. I don't know who brought him a Simon, but I think he saw one of the very first Simons. And throughout the years, there would be team riders, and that's part of their 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 role was to go out, and they would try other, other boards. It wasn't like, hey, you can't try other stuff because you're a team rider, but you're also your role with Channel Islands is to help us create new designs. So if you're writing nothing but our designs, how are you going to be creative? Um, they would bring other boards by. Uh, now, we would never, Al would never copy them. Okay, that's one thing we have to get straight. And he would rarely even measure them, but he would look at them. And he could, it seemed to me that he could almost take a visual photograph of what he saw and pull out components of that design that he felt had merit and incorporate that in something that he was working on. I mean, hmm. real, really gifted 
craftsman and creative. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, so we've determined, Scott, that we, you and I believe that Tom Kern is perhaps the number one ambassador with Kelly being 1A. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's oh, an man. interesting – and then this brings Rob Machado into the equation, who's a great ambassador in his own right. And um, did a lot with Al and um, sort of thinking outside the box and sort of creating boards that an every man like myself could ride, especially post that real chippy era uh -huh. of the mid-90s that you were talking about where things were real slipper nose and narrow and thin and basically hard to ride supermodels, as Dave Parmenter once called them. They look good under your arm, but um, they're difficult to live with. And, um, I like that. Yeah. Good one. I sort of butchered it. They look good <laughs> with your arm around her. But anyway, you get the point. Yeah. Um, and so Rob came along, and he made some cool boards that, like I say, guys like me could ride and enjoy and paddle around and, and get around on, and especially in crappy surf down where I live. And, um, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but that's okay. So recently, part of the CI story is, Kelly and Rob are no longer a part of the CI brand and the CI family. And um, maybe you can talk a little bit about that because the split seems, it seems um, awkward. Mm. And I don't know much about it, so enlighten me if you could. Yeah, I mean. When did it happen? How did it go down? Oh, man, that's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, Good, we've got all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I would say start by saying they're always going to be part of our family. I mean, yeah. that, that will never change. They're part of the brand. I mean, their, their DNA is, is in CI. It's in this building. And likewise, like our DNA is in, in what they do. Um, but, uh, I mean, in regards to the split, it was purely business. I mean, they were offered a financial opportunity that they would have been, have been a bad choice to pass up. I mean, it was fantastic financial opportunity for them. Yeah. And that's not bad. I mean, that's not a bad thing. So I think both, both uh, Channel Islands and you know, the Merricks understood and we understood. So it's, it was just it was a business thing. Yeah. You know, we, we, uh, and, and to their credit, you know, we had the opportunity to uh, counter, so to speak, and yeah. just, it just did financially, there was no way we just, we couldn't do that. Was it a case where the guys here, the guys that are the salt of the earth surfboard builders, the guys in this factory, uh, yourself included, felt that it was a bad marketing move, a bad business decision not to keep Kelly and Rob on. And that decision came down from higher places, your boss. No, there was never uh, rephrase the question of was it we feel like it's a bad marketing move well it's a bad marketing move but it would have just been uh, almost suicide to try and counter what they were being offered right. financially it was right. it was unobtainable it was it was never a question okay it was interesting yeah 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 so we, you know we're yeah we can skip we, I can touch on some other things later but yeah it, it, it was um, it, it, there was no hard feelings or and it was it was painful yeah. Just like any, I guess, breakup might be. Yeah. But when you step back and look at it logically, it, 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 it kind of had to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 
with those two now going and um, Kelly has Slater designs and, and Rob has boards that he's making under the Firewire technology, um, does it feel like there's – and you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but does it feel like there's some of the Channel Islands DNA in some of those boards and some of those designs that we see out there? Yeah, I think – I mean, obviously my viewpoints are slanted, but I think there's a lot of CI DNA in a lot of boards out there. Right. Um, I'll use an example. You know, for – we had a sales meeting recently, and part of what I do in my role here is to lay out, like, a strategy going forward and, you know, our tactics are going to be for the year and and give our people an overview of the competition – and in that presentation, there was a slide of Rob standing in front of a quiver of his designs. Um, and I was, I was walking Al through that presentation. And the presentation's like, I don't know, 40 slides long. I'm sure people fell asleep probably watching it, right? But so I go through the whole presentation, and uh, the slide with Rob was like, say, slide number nine. I get to number 40. Al hasn't said one word the whole time, right? He's just absorbing. Get to the end of the presentation, there's a long pause, and Al says, hey, uh, go back to that slide with, with Rob. And I go back, and he kind of leans close. He's like, those are my noses. <laughs> so, is there, yeah, of course there is. But that you can't remove that from Kelly or Rob because it's what they rode for 20-something years. It's not a bad thing, and I wouldn't call it copying, but it's in their DNA, to use your term. Yeah, it can't it can't be avoided. Yeah, in many ways, it's flattering. Although, it's there's a little bit of a yeah. salt in the wound. Yeah, it's, you yeah. know, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. having done this for being close to this for like 27 years myself, it's it's always happened. Yeah. And have you reached out to Kelly and Rob um, and to Tom? And I, I know the the 50 year thing is is still sort of on the table and you guys haven't quite figured it out yet exactly, you know, what the celebration will look like. But I imagine at some point, I mean, you have such an incredible roster when you think about it, right? And you know these names better than I do, but I'm thinking Davey Smith, I'm thinking Sean, I'm thinking Kim Merrick, I'm thinking Lisa Anderson, I'm thinking Bobby Martinez. I mean, the list of guys that rode Channel Island surfboards is awesome. And it would be really neat if we celebrated all of those people, if we could. And, and so the question is, have you reached out to any of those? Have you reached out to Kelly and Rob? Have you, has anyone even been made aware of, hey, next year, keep this on your radar, save the date type of thing? No. We need to have a huge party. <laughs> we need to have a huge party with everybody. We, we kind of just realized it ourselves a few weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that we're, we're not sitting around hyping up ourselves. Like, it's like it's not even on I our know, radar. In fact, barely. that's in your DNA. You've made that clear. I think yeah. that's that's great. That's what Al's sort of about. He's like, let the board speak for themselves. Let the shapes speak. You know, let the surfing speak for themselves. We don't need to prop ourselves up. But at some point, you guys have 50 years of incredible history. There's guys like me that love the brand, that love the surfboards. There's, you know, how many great waves, how many world titles. I mean, just insane stuff with the CI brand. I think it'd be cool. And by the way, you and I are just riffing right now. I would love to see a huge CI party with all of these people. Let's invite all of these people to a party and celebrate CI. Well, it sounds like we can count on you to help out. I would be, I will. I would love to help out. But I mean, you know, wouldn't that be neat? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, we get them all together for a picture, but would Kelly and Rob show up? I think so. 
I, I you know, I, I think they would. I know when we, at your at your show two years ago, there was a panel talking about uh, Al and because we were honoring Alf and, and uh, Rob sat on that panel and spoke very eloquently yeah. and told great stories about Alf. So yeah, I, I think they would. Cool. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious. And there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So Kelly and Rob are going to show at the party. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the consignment model, Scott. Um, as you know, I did an interview with Dennis Jarvis. I did an interview with Mark Price at Firewire. We spoke a lot about the consignment model. Is it good? Is it bad? Um, Mark spoke eloquently about the price-to-value ratio of surfboards, that that the surfboards need to be priced higher at the retail level or at the, the price point at retail. Um, what are your thoughts on the consignment model in general? I... I'm not going to sit here and pass a judgment on good or bad, but it definitely is. And what it is, it's it's a component of a methodology of doing business, right? So you've kind of got the way I see it, because I've spent some time thinking about this, and you've got two ways of out there of, of, of doing business. And I talked to some people that were smarter than, than myself, because, you know, I, I grew up here and did came from surfboard building but uh you can either do it's like it's a dichotomy per se you can you can uh do business from the inside out or the outside in so it's like softball versus hardball so what that what softball is is you 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 play to play the game right you play to be in the game hardball is you you play to win the game and i mean there's books on on these business practices so when you play to play the game, like say Dennis or ourselves, we do it because we enjoy the lifestyle, right? And the same with your surf shops. And I mean, these are guys, generally a surf shop is born from a surfer that wants to start a business and he opens a little shop and maybe it grows, maybe it doesn't. Same with most of your board builders, right? We, Al started building boards because he needed a board or just you know, start with like $200 loan. Most of your board builders 
come from just needing a board and billboard for your friends. And then, so that's, that's where you get that poor set of business practices or a bad price to value ratios. Cause people are getting up and they're checking the tides and the wind before they're, they're checking their balance sheet. So conversely, when you play hardball, you're playing to win. So the consignment model is simply a, a business tactic. Again, it's not good or bad, but it's very common in other sectors of being able to get into a market quickly and at volume. So if I'm, if I'm the equity group behind Firewire, I'm not investing a ton of cash to check the tide. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing that to build a few boards for my friends and start from a grassroots. It's like, how do I get into the channel quickly and in a big way? I finance it because I can't expect these little shops that are inside out playing softball to, to carry the day for my brand. I've got to go in there and I've got to finance it. So I think when Dennis, when I listened to your, the podcast, Dennis said, leveling the playing field. Well, that is, again, it's a tactic of hardball. Like there's a few tenets of this hardball concept, right? One of them is to raise your competitors' costs. So all we see now is, is the softball players all of a sudden suggesting playing a little hardball with the, the guys that are coming from the outside. It's like, okay, well, one of the tactics is to, to raise your costs, and therein lies the tariff. What you're doing is raising competitors' costs, so it decreases their ability to, to finance boards or go out and pay for expensive team riders or you know, build the pool or, or what have you. you know? So it, it's, it's just a business tactic. So I don't have an opinion on, on good or, or bad. It just really Does is. Does Channel Islands play softball or do they play hardball? Unfortunately, you play softball. Why is that unfortunate? Um, because it, it, it's, it, it leaves you vulnerable to the guys that play hardball. Right. You know, it all, you can get, and we got a little, you know, blindsided. You know, I, I was, yeah. I was, uh, you know, one day I decided, God, there's got to be a term for this. You know, so I'm, I'm getting, I'm losing like our best advocates in the stores are being hired as, as reps or my reps are getting approached by other brands. And it's not just Firewire. It's like maybe your GSIs are, you know, generally a, a group or, or people that have come from outside board building, Yeah, you know, and they're bringing sound but aggressive business tactics into board building. Yeah. And I want to be clear, this isn't bad. This just is. Part of me thinks it's, for whatever reason, there's a part of my heart, and it doesn't make business sense. This is just me being a kid that grew up in California and, and was raised around guys that played softball, guys that are in it yeah. for a passion. Yeah. They're in it to build boards. They're in it to go surfing. That's why we do it. Part of my heart, a big part of my heart, is sort of pulled in that direction. One of the reasons that we did Sacred Craft and now the boardroom is to, after the 05 Clark closure, there was this vacuum. There was a lot of disease in the marketplace. It's like, hey, let's celebrate the surfboard again. And so, but enough about me. I do feel like it's wrong. There's something that's dirty about it. I feel that it's a little bit. Um, it depends on who you talk to. It feels like I'm being cut off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. Where's the etiquette, right? Now, I'm, again, yeah. again, there is no etiquette in this. You know, this is exactly every, everyone's going to say smart business. You better play or get out. Well, I've heard this for years. You know, it's like, oh, well, Channel Islands or Al, you know, he's making money. Well, yeah, we're all capitalists. But again, we're, we're more focused on 
just staying in the game and, and, and living, living the lifestyle. You know, so uh, it, it's, it's, a far, it's far different when you wake up and you're, 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 your whole goal for the day is, is to win. You know, it's, yeah. it's a different mindset. Yeah. Different mindset. I wonder if in the long run that mindset's going to win in the surf space. Like, there might be four years, three years, five years, but can we sustain for 20 years? That's that's the question, right? Yeah. That's the question. Is And that's and that's the the narrative that we keep hearing. Uh, oh, you look at shoes and the cobbler. Can you pull your mic just a little closer? Thanks. Like look at look at shoes and, and the and the cobbler or the watchmaker. I think you, you spoke about guitars. You know that. Um, and is that going to be the narrative of surfboards? You know, is is it going to go the way of the watch and the shoe? I, you know, there's not lifestyles and people that identify as shoe wearers or watch wearers. Right. And the guitars may be close, but the guitar industry or music isn't based on the guitar builder. Right. Where the shaper, the whole industry and the whole lifestyle came from the surfboard and the shaper, in my mind. No, for sure. I've, yeah. I've, I preach that. That's yeah. really my mission statement for the right. show is let's make sure that the board builder is the cultural arbiter of what, what surfing is, how right. we perceive it, right. what the culture is all about. So so the more like the outsiders, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it as a bad way, but, you know, the, the, the hardballers want to commoditize the board and talk about board building being toxic and it should be outsourced because nobody wants to do it. I, I I disagree. I mean, you can look around here. There's a ton of people that want to do it. It's not dirty. This place is clean. So, I, you know, I, I hold out hope in my romantic way of, of board building that it'll continue. And, and it won't just continue where you've got, a, like, the big outsourced brands and a few cottage hobbyists. You know, I think you should be able to have a, a career in building surfboards or, or being a laminator or a sander and pay a mortgage and get paid time off and have health care and put your kids through university. That shouldn't just be reserved for the, the equity people. You, can, you should be able to be a fin guy and do the same thing. And that's, I think that's what's cool about what we do. I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah, you should be. You know, I want the listener to know that I was given a tour, and I've never been to the Channel Island Surfboard Factory here in, in Carp. And um, there's father and son team down here doing laminating, and there's guys that have been with the brand for you know probably over 30 years um, that are in there shaping surfboards. There's this is uh, it gets the sense that this is a campus, that this is a family vibe, that it could easily be sort of like the Google. As far as the culture, you know, the culture of the of the building is very much um, salt of the earth, and and it's something that I think is very important, and um, I'm, I'm I'm confident that it's going to continue. I do want to talk about um, the power of Kelly because a lot of this talk about tariffs, about import versus domestic. I mean, imports versus domestic has been happening for a long time, as you know. Um, but when Kelly left Channel Islands and went to Firewire, and he's a part owner of Firewire, I believe, um, that's when we got a reignition of sort of the animosity about the imported surfboard. And I believe it's because Kelly is, is such a powerful marketing force, especially with surfboards. 
um, that all of a sudden the market share started to get a little bit thinner for the domestic board builder because it just seemed like Kelly's ripping, Kelly's on this new board, that he's the new company, it's, it's Kelly, 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 and he's just really powerful. And nothing wrong with that, but do you see it that way as well, that, there, that the heightened animosity is due to Kelly's coming out with some boards and he's kind of ripping. I mean, he's going to rip on anything, but uh, is, that, is that the way you see it, that we've kind of so – I, I Yeah, I see Kelly being very powerful and, and probably one of the only surfers out there that can deliver a message – uh, a powerful message and, 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 and be a game changer. So I absolutely agree with that. Um, where the animosity comes from, uh, hard for me to speak to. I, yeah. I mean, everyone has their own reason. Yeah. I think if animosity probably comes from being threatened, yes. you know, their people's livelihood, they're playing their, their, their softball, they're, they're being forced out of the game or at least scared of being forced out of the game. Right. And that is what they, they wake up every morning and want to play the game. Right. So yeah. there, so that's, it's a threat. Yeah. So there, I mean, it's just it's just psychological. You know, it's like you you respond yeah. with animosity or hate or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's unfortunate, but it is. Kelly moves the needle, as you mentioned, and and this brings me to a point about CI brand ambassadors. Now, in a perfect world, um, well, let me start with this. Do you think it's important to have a bunch of brand ambassadors? Uh, or is it better to just have one superhero brand ambassador that's going to move the needle? Good question. Because uh, you've seen success with one or two, like Hayden Shapes or 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 the uh, or Kelly, um, and then you've seen success with Channel Islands. It has more more team writers than I can even count. Um, for better or for worse. I think there's been a little bit of shift in uh, the impact of a lot of the athletes. I think, unfortunately, they're less relevant now than they were. I think, and we can talk about, I mean, that's a whole podcast on on, on that in itself. It's you mean just, professional surfers aren't as relevant as, say, Craig Anderson? Uh, they need, not as relatable, let's not say. Not relatable. You know, yeah. let's, say, let's, let's use that term, relatable. And that, and that, that kind of goes across... I've spoken with marketers in motocross or snowboarding, and it's right now it's a bit of that same uh, vibe on all action sports. Don't really know why, but part of it could be the fact that the level of those athletes has gotten so high, it's not relatable. Like when you and I grew up, you know, you you saw Tommy, but. Basically, he was just turning harder and more fluid than everyone else. But everyone could kind of do the same turn. You could put my hands like that. Yeah, you, could, you know, <laughs> and, and, and a, a hot surfer at your local spot was pretty similar to a, a pro. But now the, the levels are just so through the roof. Maybe that's what you see a little bit of that. People can't have a harder time relating. Hmm. Or, yeah, I think that's part of it. Dane Reynolds, uh, he seems like a guy that that – if I was involved with the CI brand, I'd be really focusing on him and getting him to to uh, to put the brand message out there and to be aggressive in that fashion. And because um, he seems like a guy, I I look at my kid. I have an eight, nineteen year old, twenty year old son, and he's all about what Dane Reynolds is doing. 
You know, so I sense that Dane Reynolds moves the needle. He seems like one guy that I would just go, you know what, we don't really need all the too many of these other guys. Let's like have a few other guys that are important, whoever they may be. But Dane seems like a guy that I would wrap my arms around. Has it been difficult to get Dane to um, be that role, you know, partake in that role? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Dane. Dane is his own his own deal. I can't even really he's like Tom. Put, put it into words. <laughs> it's like, well, in the beginning, Tom was very focused on competition and very very driven yeah. to to compete. Um, where Dane's was different. You know, but yeah, ideally, it'd be great to have Dane be a vocal advocate for Channel Islands, but that's just not him. Yeah, we don't want him to be fake. No, I mean, right? he he lives he lives right over the right two blocks away. Right. You know, he rides his bike over here sometimes. Yeah. So it's it's um so he's close, yeah. easy. Same with Bobby. You know, Bobby's close by. Yeah. Comes by a lot, but those guys just we're not going to make them or ask them to be who they're not. Right. So that's. Kind of ends there. Yeah. Who's the perfect person to, if you could pick, if you could pick one athlete, one surfer, who's the that like, for what to to be the brand ambassador to be the number one brand ambassador for Channel Island surfboards, besides Kelly, and I mean like everyone's on the table, besides Kelly and Rob. I mean, if I had to pick one and just purge the whole entire team, I could, I could keep one team rider. But you could pick somebody that's not a team rider now. It could be a guy oh, that's riding oh, for whoever. Oh. Like it could be Mikey Wright. Or does Mikey ride the Channel Islands? No. no. Anyway, whoever it is that's going to that's gonna wrap their – that gets it, that's going to wrap their arms around marketing, that's going to get a pretty nice, sizable salary, that's going to be the face of Channel Islands for the next five years. Oh, i got to pay him too. Oh, yeah. No, we've got to pay him because we're going to purge everyone else. We're right, gonna, right. We're going to put all our monkeys and all our money. All in our monkeys in one basket. Yeah. Gosh, man, that is a really good question. And, and that is why I, I uh, pay people to do marketing and team for me, and I don't yeah. make those decisions. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it'd have to be someone that, that was articulate and, and, and surfed well. If you're going to pick one person, I mean, they, and they've got to they've have – We've got to that be relatable, as you mentioned, right? right? Relatable. Right. Love of surfboards. Right. Approachable. Ideally, a competitor, but that also transcends into that relatable travel guy, which I think Machado really was good at. What's another quality that we need? they gotta, they got to be funny. So maybe sea bass. <laughs> okay. So are you saying sea bass? <laughs> I don't know. I, right. You know, I, I, I really... Man, that, that, is, that is really a tough one. You know, the, um, can I pick brothers? Yes. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, pick. You can pick yeah, brothers. May, you know, like maybe even the Coffin brothers. I mean, yeah. those kids are from here. Yeah. So we talk, and I mentioned earlier, like Inside Out. Yeah. Um, I, I, I truly believe that, that strong brands and, and like here is built from the inside out, right? So yeah. you focus on your people. Yeah. Um, and you focus on what you're building. And kind of, and that's how even with Al, I mean, we've been up here in Santa Barbara forever, and kind of away from the rest of the industry, yeah. which really allowed us to focus on what we do. Yeah, um, I feel like the so that would apply to team riders, people from from the area that have wow. the DNA, and you see how guys from from Santa Barbara surf the yeah. Point Break guys. I mean, yeah. it's a different. You can pick them out. Yeah, you know, just just the way their, their style. So you know, it might be if I had to pick up, you know, Parker. Connor and Lakey, maybe yeah. you know how to have a have a girl. Sure. I mean, 
you know, how, how beautiful was it to watch Kim surf? Insane. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. She, and that's, that's part of the DNA that is this area and is this brand. So if I'm going to stick to what we believe in, which is inside out, it's going to have to be someone from this area. Right. So it might, you know, so Parker and Parker, Connor. And Connor yeah. And they're, they, they speak well and they're smart kids and they surf well and, uh, you know, if you're putting yeah. me on the spot, I kind know, of am. That's yeah. what podcasts are yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, tell me a little bit about, um, Britt Merrick's role here. And obviously he's a shaper. He's the son of Al Merrick. Um, what's Britt's role at CI now? So, so Britt, uh, officially, I guess, uh, is, is the lead designer and lead shaper. And he, but he touches a lot of things, uh, helps with marketing, uh, obviously the most of the bulk of his time is, is, is board design, product design. He does shape for Zeke. Um, and he shapes for Dane and he shapes for Lakey. Um, and I say shapes for them I and mean, he'll shape for everyone, but those, I, I, I'm pretty sure he does all their boards exclusively. Right. And, uh, and he, he just, he helps ensure that the Merrick, legacy and ethos is always present you know yeah. al still comes in probably once a week mm-hmm. um shakes hands you know provides some feedback on this and that um yeah. and then brit's here quite a bit and now isaiah is his son is here oh cool and as you might have heard earlier he puts in all the spines and the spine tech right and he's done some airbrushing for us cool so how old is isaiah i think he's 17 oh cool so i get pretty geeked up when i see all three of them here I bet. You know, right? I'm like, I've, man, that's three generations right there, all working. That's something the marketing guy here wants to hear about, too. Yeah, that's, we've that's talked about cool, it. Man. You know, we've got a lot of cool things that we want to market, so but it's just like there's not enough time in the day. Yeah. <laughs> so Britt's involved, and that's great. And I oh, see yeah. him at the boardroom show. And, and yeah, he's going, he's doing a, a European tour. I think he leaves next week. Oh, cool. So he's going over with our our, our guys at Olatu, Pukas, uh-huh. and him and Isaiah, Sweet. his son. They're going over there and they're doing like a shop shaping tour. Right. Cool. Santa Barbara. Um, it's it's a very unique region. It's a very um, beautiful, beautiful place. Point breaks. Uh, sort of upscale, at least in the mind of those that don't know. Uh, certainly, <laughs> there are some regions that are a little bit saltier. Um, you've lived here your whole life? No. No, I came here to go to college. Okay. Where are you from originally? Oh, man, that's a long story. Uh, what's the best way to, to make it short? My, my, my father was in oil. Okay. So I was, I was born overseas, I was born in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Lived in West Africa, South Africa. I went to grade school in Kuwait. Wow. Yeah. That's a great story. It's, yeah, yeah. It's so it's different. What was Kuwait like in grade school? I mean, hot, you, dusty. Hot? A lot of Americans in your school? A ton of Americans. It was, it, was it was the American school of Kuwait. The American school. And all the kids that were of parents, parents that were in oil all yep. kind of focused yep. into this one place. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so after that, I uh, went to NorCal. East East Bay, and then that's where I got into surfing, and and ended up here because one of my good buddies in high school, uh, this guy Scott Rubel, if he's listening, uh, just idolized Tom Curran. And when we left high school to come to Santa Barbara, he said, "I'm getting a job at Channel Islands." <laughs> I'm like, "Sure you are, bro." 
And uh, two years later, he calls me up. Uh, well, I was in touch with him, but uh, so I knew he got a job within six months and called me up and said, hey, you want to come pack boards? You want to come pack boards at CI? And I'm like, yeah. I was painting houses at the time. I'm like, heck yeah, I'll stop painting and go work at, at CI. And they're like, yeah, this this kid that was supposed to pack boards um, flaked and and decided to go be a pro surfer and move to Hawaii. This guy named Keith Malloy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, so Keith was out and that was my end. That's great. Yeah. Oh my. So we were, we were, I was trying to get down to talk about Santa Barbara and how it's changed. Um, in your from, eyes, from the viewpoint of a surfer or a resident or how um, so whatever comes to mind, you know, from as a resident, as a surfer, um, uh, it's well. It's definitely grown. Yeah, I mean, from like a political infrastructure standpoint, um, I can remember in '91 they passed this state water resolution, and then we we built uh, more houses in like '92 and '93 than the prior 12 years put together. So just like any desirable place, prices go up. There's some congestion. Uh, but all in all, I mean, it's a it's a fantastic place. I mean, what about Rincon? What about in the water? How has it changed? I don't, I, don't, I don't surf Rincon. Oh, really? No. Why not? Well, I primarily because I live at a little spot in town called Hammonds. Oh, okay. So which you've is got your own 200, 200 meters from my back gate. Okay. Very fortunate to oh, find a little nook and cranny back in 98 when... The prices weren't too crazy. Good for you. Yeah. So I, I just. When was the last time you surfed Rincon? Do you even? Know? Oh, I probably surf it once a year. Uh -huh, right. For work. Right. I guess uh, someone comes into town, they have to surf. Or a buddy comes or passes through and just has to surf Rincon. Oh uh, yeah, and you just roll your eyes and like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll go out, go out there and battle. Yeah. But you know the the lack of etiquette and the aggressiveness is just. Um, yeah. I'd rather go surf with my neighbors. Sure. So. But, uh, I mean, Rincon, it's 0.8 miles from here. Yeah. I mean, if th those trees weren't there, we could see it. Right. Um, so it's, it's, you get the, 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 the symptom, or I guess the, uh, the collateral is that everyone comes through here because it's just right next to Rincon. So you get, whether they're our team or someone else's team or just coming by to say hi, there is a pretty steady flow of surfers coming through so in that regard it, it it's cool yeah yeah it's like having a, a big long laboratory in your backyard to yeah. go test boards and that's what that's what rincon that's what, that's how i see rincon that's where we go test the boards yeah. i'm gonna go have fun and and kind of uh zen out i'm gonna go up in town right <laughs> yeah and and you know we see a lot of really great footage of of connor and of course dane and of bobby at rincon i mean the the CI brand and Rincon is is pretty tied together. Uh, there's probably some other labels that are out there a lot too. Um, Matt Moore comes to mind, um, but CI and Rincon are like um, synonymous. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> I, I I agree, and a lot of these guys that are here, I mean that's where they that's where they surf the carp guys. Yeah, you know that's. And they get their waves. Oh yeah, you know they know how to get Up out there. The oh, they get. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, all the way through. I think we had two years ago, we had um, 
Oh man, now I'm blanking on that GPS system that attaches to your board. What? Oh, yeah, gosh, I'm, yeah, I, my memory. I'm blanking on it too. But, but I they know had what you they mean. had Wave of the Winter, um, and I think we had Blake, who's uh, I'm I'm probably sorry guys if I get your names or I get the wrong person, but I think Blake was in the lead with like a 900 yard uh, ride at, at Rencon, and then uh, Blake's been here like 18 years. Uh huh. Then Scotty Martinson, who's our head of uh, product for accessories, got like a thousand, broke the thousand yard, right. it tracks you. And then these guys would, would post it. That's so cool. And then uh, he's, Scotty's been here for longer than me, like 29 years, I think. Yeah. And then Aaron Smith, who's head of surfboards that you met him at the boardroom show. Right. He won with like 1100 yard long wave of the winter at Rincon. How good is that? That's yeah. cool. And so that's what these guys do at lunch. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Do you have to make sure they clock in at a certain I time? I make sure they go surf. <laughs> oh, good. And that's that's, ser- that, that's yeah. something that, that we advocate here is like if you're going to work and build boards, you know, go surf. Yeah. That's part sure. of it. And, that, and that's, again, that goes back to that romantic sort of side of it is I think there's something very cool and very central to our culture is that surfers build surfboards. Yeah. You know, and then they go surf and then they live that life. I, I just think if we lose that, what's the surfing narrative? It just gets, it goes like watches. You yeah. Know, that's not cool. No, no. We're going to make sure that everyone <laughs> sticks around. I, I don't see us. I don't see the domestic board builder going anywhere. And, um, and you know, I'm a big fan. Right. Let's just leave it at that. Um, Bobby Martinez is Bobby. Um, is he a part of the marketing program or is he just, a yeah, friend yeah, he is picks up boards occasionally. No, no, he's part of the marketing program. We flew our digital guy, Sean Lesh over there uh, last month and he spent two weeks with Bobby on the gold coast. Is that where Bobby lives now? No. Well, his wife is from Australia, so right. he goes over there every summer. Oh, I see. I mean, here in Santa Barbara in summer, it's like Nothing. you, you yeah. don't, you leave or you don't surf. Right. So that's Bobby's program okay you go over there for a few months score okay. a bunch of waves and then and then come back so we we do have uh a bunch of image imagery and video of him yeah just got to figure out how we're going to use it what was it like here when bobby had that moment with todd klein on the radio on the broadcast <laughs> the asp broadcast where he basically said uh, you know asp is <laughs> like pro <laughs> tennis i mean I what, don't know what, what it was. was uh, I don't know what it was like here because I was there. Oh, what, I was in New York. What for was that happening one. with the the talk there, amongst the well, CI God. people? Um, no, it wasn't. No one was freaking out. Yeah. I, it, before it all went down with like the FTW group, it, there was something that was going to happen. What, what do you back up a little bit so the listeners I, understand? I, I, What's the FTW? Group? I, well, it was F the World. It right. was a sponsor at the time. Okay, and, so we had I'm a not, sponsor not, called FTW. It was his new sponsor. His new sponsor, right? And it was, I forget who it was. You know, I'm not. I wasn't like super interested in the whole story behind it all. I just knew it was a new sponsor, and they were kind of uh, edgy, and and, so, and something was going to go down, and and Bobby. Oh, so was, you you had heard the in talk at the contest? Yeah, the Bobby talk at the contest gonna, was Bobby something. Was my blow yeah, up. yeah. Yeah, well, well not these going to blow up per se, but, but that something, something was, was up, you know. Oh, that's interesting. And sure enough, okay. So. so it was basically sounds to me like, look, I'm over this, and I'm going to let everyone know I'm over this, and I'm going to do it in a dramatic fashion. And so here it is. And so yeah. it was almost pre-planned then. As well, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it was. Uh, yeah, 
pre-planned doesn't make sense. It's if it's planned, it's pre. Anyway. Well, I think that there had been a. I'm speculating, but from yeah. what I can see, there there had been kind of an ongoing uh, beef with with the WSL or ASP or whoever it was, at yeah. the, and Bobby, and they were mistreating or you know he felt like uh, disrespected. Right. And so he was. I don't know if he planned. It wasn't scripted. But right. I think right. he was just he was not. He was not having it. Right. You know, he didn't want to. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's just that's what makes Bobby Bobby. I, I was going to say that's, that's what, what makes Bobby Bobby. Yeah. That's and what it, makes it, Dane. If Dane, you don't if you don't have these personalities in surfing, again, it starts to get homogenized. Yeah. You know, and everyone's the same. Like yeah. you're, you're, now you're taking, you know, you're taking uh, uh, board building away from surfers, and you're taking the ocean out of the waves with the pool. Like not that it's bad, but you know, you just. There just need to be aware of like this over homogenization of the culture and surfing. You can't. I mean, I get packaging it for the masses. Totally get that. Yeah. Totally get that. That's that's a a business play. Yeah. You know, you got to have got to have all that digestible to someone that doesn't know what surfing is. Yeah. But you know, me and my little romantic slant just think that uh, you need personalities and you need surfers making boards and you need the ocean and all that jazz you mentioned the pool i have this vision based on some surfing that i've seen you've probably seen it too of joel parkinson riding a skimboard at kelly's wave ranch that the equipment at that wave ranch i think is going to get really small because you don't really it's easy to paddle into have you surfed it it's a pretty simple wave i've surfed i've surfed inland and i've actually surfed typhoon lagoon but no i haven't surfed well, uh kelly's lamore is easier to, to catch waves than, than both of those two okay. that you mentioned okay. easier than inland okay um, point is is that i think that we're going to get to a place where these guys are going to be on little teeny discs kind of what what tom is doing now and what we've seen from joel parkinson and others when they're surfing there any thoughts on that and does ci look at it and go you know what we should be on top of this if it if it moves in that direction all right well first part uh al and kelly talked about surfing on discs as far back as the early 90s i mean that was always at the forefront of how do we make you know the surfboard smaller or let you know and that's and at that time it was two inch thick and 17 and three quarters wide and just a minimal surface area in order to put the board in places on the wave that you couldn't with a larger board. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that conversation has been going on for a long time. So I would agree with what you're saying is that that's probably where, where it's going. Cause you don't need to paddle. Yeah. Um, do we feel like we have to be on top of equipment for the wave pool? Um, I wouldn't say that's a, a an initiative. Yeah. Um, like, like Britt said earlier, um, you know, he's been up at the pool. He's working with the Australian team, and we have definitely found some some equipment that works better, or constructions and, and and ways to surf man-made fresh water waves. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, I, I don't think that's something that that we're hyper concerned about yet until these pools start popping up everywhere, which may be that group's business plan. Don't don't know. I imagine it yeah. would be. You know, they're going to. Yeah. They're not going to make all their money off Firewire, or, or so it's probably going to be the pools and the and the WSL. So when you say that group, you mean this is all the same group of people in Europe? In oh, what yeah. you've heard, y- yeah, it's Kelly's what, group, and they own the Wave Pool and they own yeah, Firewire. It's a, yeah, it's the Equity Group. Um, there might be there's a Do lot. They have of, a name. This Equity. Well, group? I think one of them is is Eco Pivot. I mean, they're the guys that that we we sat with. I won't go into that, but um, 
there's a lot of crossover with the money behind those mm-hmm. three. So that's why, um, you know, you only see really firewire in the pool. Right. Um, and then that's why you have where happened this, the pool being sold to the WSL. Well, right. you know, I mean, I so those are the three selling interests. is a relative term. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, that, that's a big group with a lot of money and it goes back to why consignment is, is because you're not going to sit around and wait for the shop owners to drive your business. You're going to drive your business yourself. Yeah. So what the grand plan is, I, I don't know. I can only speculate. I could see the pool as this homogenized wave that it's the same wave every time it's a perfect wave. Therefore there's only one board that's really needed. And I could see a place where we just get, this is the board that you ride there and it's four, two or whatever. And it's, there's no need to even think about design changes because we've got this same wave over and over. And this is the best board that works there. And I'm wondering if it's going to, and that takes a lot of that, passion out of it in my eyes and i'm just lot, thinking it, well, 10 years down the it takes line the variables out of it i think yeah. which is which is the goal you know uh yeah it's it's the pool is cool like i, I had a ton of fun oh, riding insane. it yeah i mean it's just and again it's not a bad thing i'm not i'm not here to judge but I, my my view on it it's you know it's like gymnastics you know now you've got like a tumbling run you know it's like you don't it's not man on man right you've got someone you know when they're going to start their run yeah you know, now they now they need to put like a degree of difficulty on it or something. Oh, he's going to do like two two rotations and a barrel ride. Degree Does that interest you as a consumer of professional surfing? No. No. Do you think that I have this opinion that look, I'm okay. Let's have an event. Let's have a CT event at the pool. I'm good with that. However, my caveat is if you do that, I want the same surfers to have to have an event in a big wave venue, either Mavericks or Jaws or Waimea. If you're going to have an event there, let's go the other extreme. And because I don't want a world champion that can't surf Mavericks, I'm sorry. I want to. I want to. I want to look up to my world champion. Right. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I agree in part. Um, you know, the competition thing is tricky. You can you can spin that so many different ways. But if I put on like my surfer consumer hat, um, yeah, I think the the, the pools should just be a component of it, but agree. They should have to surf all, all types of waves. If I put on my channel islands, general manager hat, and I could, I could frame the pool as an opportunity to introduce surfing to a lot more people. Oh, and then I can, you know, then I can build, I can build more boards. I can stay in the game longer. (laughs) You know what I mean? But maybe to your point, those people now only want four foot, you know, styrofoam discs, not yeah. not a real surfboard in parentheses, you know, or in quotations. Speaking of styrofoam, <clears throat> what are your thoughts on Wavestorm surfboards at Costco? Do you think that this grows the pond and this allows for more people to come into the sport and eventually two, three years down the line come and, and get a board from Channel Islands? Or do you see it as, nope, that's what they do. They have the Wavestorm. They put it in their garage and every summer they strap it onto the car and they go to the beach and that's that. To answer your question a little bit, I think it does introduce, um, brings down some barriers for a person to get into surfing because the boards are easy, they're cheap. But in the industry, to all the board builders, they're all citing less sales in fun shapes or, or what have you. So it, it has to have an impact. It's the best-selling surfboard in the world by far. Yeah. It has to have an impact on uh, 
some of the board builders that are catering to a price point or entry level type. That's I think that's not debatable. But um, opinion on Wavestorm, we're 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 building something similar with Bethany Hamilton, right? And but the reason why we're doing it is she came and said, I want something for my fans that don't have a lot of money that want to get into surfing and, and try it without a big barrier of price and difficulty of riding a hard board or injury or what, what have you. So the wave storm kind of fits that bill. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's there. We just have to be aware of it and, and plan around it. By the way, if you have Parker and Connor mm-hmm. and you have Lakey, you have to have Bethany. Bethany's, incredible oh, yeah. Yeah. for marketing she's yeah. just a machine yeah well she speaks to a whole different demographic she does you know I, I i'm not you know surfing with people in the water that are like oh i'm doing that turn or buying that product because bethany does it she speaks to that whole like 13 uh, year old daughter sure yeah. and just anyone that that enjoys being inspired i guess yeah right you know, yeah so yeah she's she's great does tom Curran ever come around sure and and when he comes in, what's it like when Tom's around? I'm a I'm a, an unabashed Tom Curran <laughs> fan. Um, well, sometimes he'll come in and he'll have um, his skimboard, and he'll come. He can come by for hours and talk about materials. And he'll he'll honestly, this is no joke. He'll pull uh, bones, which are like the shavings of the surfboards, or uh, we'll have like. We've got all kinds of materials in this joint, like yeah. bamboo or exotic this or exotic that. And he'll he'll just take stuff and glue and resin it onto his board. It's <laughs> it's absurd. It? And so we've made him skimboards. Yeah, we made him. Uh, we he he had one that he brought in that he liked, and we made a a proper like shaped a skimboard and had it done in all the eco finish resins and and try to make it as eco as possible. That's one thing he wanted to do. And but I think it, it came out like too good. It looked awesome. too conventional. He just loves to ride. Freaky. Yeah. Like ugly. Yeah. But one thing he came in, he came in a couple months ago with Mackie and um, they got a bunch of black beauties because they were going to Morocco with the whole family, the boys and Leanne. Um, they were all going to, to Morocco together and they wanted a bunch of, like surfboards to take. Oh, okay. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. So he's still a big part, obviously, of the CI family. That's good. Yeah, he's still part of the family. I mean, he's not part of the the marketing. No. But he's he's always will be part of our family. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned eco-boards. What are your thoughts? What are the CI's thoughts on eco-boards? I kind of go both ways. I mean, some would say, and I've heard from others, uh, that, look, the most eco-friendly board is a board that doesn't break. The most eco-friendly board is just a wooden surfboard. Um, but obviously, that that's just not. It just doesn't make sense. Um, your thoughts, Channel Islands thoughts on uh, what's the official position on eco-friendly surfboards? You want, you want my thoughts, or you want Channel Islands thoughts? Yes, <laughs> which one? Yes, I do. I, they're not one of the same. I want um, your thoughts because I sense that they're. Well, hey, so I was an environmental studies major. Yeah, okay. UCSB. So I'm, you know, I know a little bit about eco. Mm-hmm. Um, it's moving in the right direction. You know, I, I, uh, it's a petroleum-based product. Still, um, it's not very eco-friendly. But uh, I think the guys are sustainable, which I think you know. Yeah, Kevin and Michael. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there is a degree of of uh, 
advanced eco-friendliness, I guess, lack of a better term, of the, the boards that they certify. Yeah. I mean, there's a bio component in that epoxy resin. Is there a drop-off in performance? Uh, not anymore. Is there a drop-off in sales just based on the consumer going, I don't know, I'd rather have what Dane's riding? Not anymore. No. We did eco stuff years ago. And eco, it would always be like a yellowish thing or it'd have it would have a, a visible um, drawback to it. Now there's not. The stuff is, is light, it's white, it's strong. So Why aren't all the boards made that way? Uh, well, Eco right now is confined to um, epoxy, at least the bioresins. Okay. So they're more expensive. Right. Um, and then Sustainable Surf, I mean, they're doing a great thing. They're leaving a great message. But, you know, it's up to them to draw up the criteria of what they're going to certify. So you saw our uh, polyester glass shop here. I mean, it's super clean, low waste, all UV cure. I mean, it, I mean, state the, of the art. Yeah, the, sta- the standards here yeah. in, in above Rincon in the orchards. I mean, the, the regulation, uh, the compliance that we have to hit. I mean, I feel like those are eco because they're they're so highly regulated, but they're not certified because that's not sustainable surf's choice. But um, I think. You have a problem with that? Do you think they should be certified? What, why do they get to certify it? Uh, why does because, an environmental science major? Oh, I think those, I think those guys are chemists. You know, I mean, the, right. those guys are, are are well versed and they're you know, they're well, I know they dudes. are. I'm just wondering. Uh, well, because you have to have a way to champion champion the message, right. and, and you know, they they did um, some studies on on the carbon footprint of of the boards and. Um, there's a technical term for that study, which is which is, uh, I'm lost on right now. But yeah, uh, yeah. they seem pretty pretty valid studies. Oh, yeah, so sure. um, yeah, okay. there could there could be levels. Right, the, the facility here is certified. Oh, good. So um, I'm not sure. I haven't done my homework. What does that many, mean? If if sustainable like, surf certifies the facility, like, why? It seems to me that the, all the boards that come out of the facility should be certified. Yeah, I mean, there's some logic there, but. That's not right. that's not the framework. That's not the way they want to do it. No, but we're certified, which means we can make the level two gold standard sustainable boards. Which uh, do you do you market that? Do you put that on the board some way? Is there a marking that says, "Hey, we're yeah, gold there's a, there's a there's a different logo," and mm-hmm. we offer that construction on uh, to shops or on our custom uh, website. You you can pick. It's no it's not any more expensive. But it's just it's the components are either recycled or more bio content, and you can you can choose that as a as a surfer to get your board built that way when i go to say surf ride or hansen's to look at ci surfboards challenge surfboards it would be cool if there was a label that you guys created i know there's cost in this but that has your logo on it has surf rides on it has your logo on that has a lot of that information maybe i'm overthinking it maybe all this stuff's already on the board but i'm just thinking end user um you know Johnny's mom goes into Surfride and sees a Channel Islands Surfride co-branded lo- sticker, a sales sticker, a retail price point sticker that has the certification on it that's all right there instead of her having to look down behind the fins, which is probably they're not even seeing that, right? Like, is, there, is it a good idea to push that into the consumer's eyes in a clearer fashion? Or are you happy with just, yeah, I've got gold standard two or whatever you mentioned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the bottom between the fins, which no one's really seen. Yeah. Well, I think there is opportunity to better deliver that message. 
um, about either the certification of the facility here or, or the boards themselves. Um, don't know what channel that would that would be best. I mean, the amount of signage and clutter and stuff yeah. at those at retail shops is just a bit overwhelming. Yeah. And even with stickers and logos on the boards, we've got pushback from surfers and shops saying, "Hey, minimal. You know, don't. Yeah. No, we don't need more point of sale stickers and more point of sale information. It's just right. it's kind of overkill. Right. So really, the challenge is, is how, how do we talk to that? Yeah. How do we deliver that message? Yeah. So uh, yeah, those are all those are all challenges that we're Maybe facing. Maybe somewhere in the actual graphic that you guys put out. On the board. There isn't one anymore. No, I mean, that CI logo. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, on the CI logo. Maybe there's a green line or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> put some trees in there. <laughs> yeah. Bad idea. Foils. <laughs> Tell me about foils. Oh, are, man. Are you guys into foils? Is foiling's a oh, big man. deal down where I live in San Diego. There's a lot of people yeah. involved in um, Rebuilding foil boards. No. Well, we have. Yeah. We have, but... Um, We've talked about it, and we, we agree, we've identified that, I guess, as a as a opportunity. But there's been no uh, plan, right? You know, and some guys here have tried it, and they they do it. Yeah. But um, you know, if, if we're going to get into that, it's I I feel, and I was telling the guys here that we should build foils and boards. Right. You now we should, but then you've got to allocate people to that project and invest in it, and yeah. we don't want to go in and just. No. Stick our brand on some something no. else. So that 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 would be an investment. And of course, there's a lot of people that are anti-foil, and there's yeah. a danger and liability component to it. Yeah. So um, I think we're kind of in a holding pattern on that one. Yeah. And you yourself, you've not tried foiling. Have not. Do you have a desire? Yeah. Yeah. I think that I, I've, I've you know I thought about I've done kiting because it's flat here yeah. in the summer, and I don't you know. I don't feel like driving all over the joint. So um, that, that could be something. What do you do in the summer? What does Scott Anderson do for recreation? Longboard. Where? I, it'll be a lot of rebel days in my house. Okay. You know? So you just um, take, like, I, I, I used to, I still sometimes pull out the SUP. Right. I mean, I'm probably going to get slayed for saying that, but. Nah, you hey. know, I mean, I, I, I started You're doing the perfect that. demo. Yeah. <laughs> I started doing that with, with Al, like when we had to make them ourselves yeah. out of PU. Yeah, and they were like, we had to get wheels for them. I remember I rode some of the ones that Rob would bring down—the big twin fin, the big wide like megalodon Almeric twin oh, fin yeah. thing. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was basically a huge fish. And, yeah. Uh, oh no, it was. I, I think the the CAD design was pulled off our fish. Yeah. And and we got one that we pulled off a single fin that we did for Rob was turned into an SUP. Yeah. We did that for a, a long time, and then it just kind of got got I don't know. I don't want to say cooped out, but kind of did, you know? Yeah, we were, no, it did. You got, can say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then, did, is the SUP market gone? Is it just dwindled away? Are there just like two, three players in there? It just seems good like- question. Don't know, but it's it's gone out of surf, like the distribution. It went into freshwater, lake. Right. And it was a race to the bottom. Exactly. All got outsourced. Yeah. And then it was all about, you know, who in Asia can make the cheapest one. It sort of took the windsurf model and just, yep. it's the 20... You know, the millennial yeah. version. Well, we're back to the natural progression of industry, right? Yeah. So this is what we're this is what we're regarded against right now. Yes. With the surfboard. <clears throat> CI moving forward. Channel Island surfboards moving forward. We've got three generations of Merricks in this building. Mm-hmm. We've got an incredible facility, super clean, super tight, um, super permitted, super compliant. 
Um, super lot, super a lot of things. It's a super <laughs> place, man. There's surfboards surrounding me. I'm in heaven. I'm in Channel right. Islands heaven right here. Um, so moving forward, you've got this new model, um, rocket wide. You've got spine tech technology. Why don't you touch on those two things? Can you enlighten me? Because I simply don't know, and I sh- I need to because this is my industry. Right. Well, so CI moving forward, and it, it ties in, I think, what we've seen with, with the success of the Rocket Wide and the Spine Tech is the work it takes to stay in the game has been upped, right? Like to, to keep playing the game because you've got some people coming from the outside, very smart, a lot of money, uh, and forcing. Hardball. The, the, yeah, the softball guys <clears throat> to up our game in order to to compete, which is good, man. Yeah, I'm fascinated I was by say, it. Yeah. You know, I think it's I think it's cool. So we're having to pay more attention to just running a, a tight little go to market strategy and have our team riders advocate more for the brand, like you see with the with the Gudang Bros. And like they're, they're they do great. a great job. Yeah, but and that and they can talk to like the vibe of CI, you know, you yeah. know I mean, what they call it, froth and just stuff. Yeah. But I mean, that's really what it's about. It's having fun, and I think we just need to do a better job of delivering our message, and that starts within these walls. You yeah. know, it's making sure that everything here is tight. Yeah, and we're building good product, and we're delivering a good message, and uh, you know that that uh, authenticity. And drawing on the the fifty years of, of experience and craftsmanship is is where we're gonna. That's CI moving forward. I envision the CI fifty year party. I just envisioned it. We're, <laughs> we're gonna have to the party. Rob and Kelly jamming. We're gonna have a, a music stage and we're gonna have a full on little rock festival. That's gonna be part of it. The Rocket Wide though. Tell me about the Rocket Wide. I think I want one of these surfboards. Tell me. Tell me about it. Um, so the Rocket Wide came from the Rocket Nine. Rocket 9 was a board that the Godowskis brothers did, mostly Dane. It has a wide point forward, and it's a little different looking. And I found that you either loved it or you didn't care for it. Right. It was, a, it was like a, a on or off type thing with that, with that board. I, I like it. I yeah, love that board. I think board. I would like that too. Wide point forward, I'm a fan. Yep. And then the Rocket Wide seems to appeal to everyone because we, we blew out the tail. Reduced a little bit of the rocker, just made it more friendly. Yeah. Um, good thing is, is that board is shown to have quite a range as far as how small a wave, and then it, it, when it gets a little bit bigger, it doesn't just spin out. So it, it's it's. I mean that that it's a, it's that is a three fin, three or five. Uh huh. Relaxed entry, um, pretty wide wide nose. Um, it just. I think it's. I'd uh, like to see one when we're done here. Yeah, I'd like to take a picture. Yeah, one. yeah, you can have a look. And is this a board that I could ride at, um, say, four to six foot Rincon or f- a four to six foot left point and be stoked and be comfortable? Or is it too wide? No, I think you'd be fine. I yeah. think once it starts to get overhead, you, you there's a better choice. Right. You know, there's, there's always, not always a better choice. But the boards right now are pretty dialed into specific conditions and sizes. They'll work across a, a broad range. Yes. But depending on the level of aptitude or how good the surfer is, he might want a different choice just to be able to accomplish what he's trying to do on the wave. Yeah. Um, that's the thing with, with 
our designs and that we have to be aware of is that we're often designing for such a high level of surfer we've we've luckily or more astutely gone out and developed stuff with people that Relaxed aren't on tour teams, you right. know yeah for the average average Guys guy like me. Yeah, yeah do you think the demographic in surfing is skewing high do you think there aren't as many kids in the water as there used to be uh yeah i think you're right i think that's true to be true i, yeah. I found that to be true just in uh just doing a survey of the places i surf i don't see as many kids no, I, I, you know, this is a whole other podcast topic on what we're finding now is is the success of the wave storm and the success of these high volume boards and even like the crafty boards are doing a lot of success, um, and the performance boards aren't. Yeah. So what? Why is that? You know. So what we found is that there's a lot less kids that identify as a surfer. Right. right, like when we grew up, you were a surfer or you Absolute, weren't. Exactly. You were a surfer or you were a kook. Like, right, exactly. that guy's not a surfer. Some of us were both. Yeah, well, right, right, right. Um, Self awareness key. Um, so, so where where was I there? Oh yeah. So in order to surf those those high performance boards, you've got to pretty much surf every day yeah. to do it well. Yeah, and that's kind of your life. Yeah. Well, what we're seeing now is that people's life is more curated like over say social media mm-hmm. to where if you surfed every day and all you posted was pictures of your local or surf spots, that's boring, man. Yeah. No one wants to watch that. Right. So people are surfing one day, but then they're rock climbing another and then they're playing guitar another and they're doing photography another. Yeah. So there's a lot less kids just surfing all day, every day. So the equipment needs are been severely downgraded because they only got to surf one day a week for their Instagram post. Right. I mean, it's, I don't want to sound like no, no, pessimistic. That's, that's you know? fascinating. No, like, it's, then it's, the, the obvious question is: Is it Instagram that created that, or did that well, create? I mean, before Instagram, I was just a surfer, but now that there's Instagram, I got to kind of show everyone all. Yeah, my you interests. do. Yeah. yeah, or you're boring. Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it goes down this whole psychological path of yeah. like, like put you know, curating yourself to this image you want to put put forward of. Yeah. And yeah, you know, there's all kinds of material on on that, but yeah. I think that relates to the equipment's being used because you can go get like a retro fish that looks killer on social media, get a lot of likes, and you can get up and go down the line yeah. and have fun. Yeah, you know, it's what it's really about. It's having fun. Right now, if you go out and get a sand and only board that's made to win a heat, yeah, it's gonna be hard to surf and not get very many likes. And what's the point? Yeah. So I think we're seeing a little bit of shift. Yeah. In that and. As board builders, we got to make those some of those shiny things and some of those soft boards because we got to keep the lights on. We got to stay often, in the game. I've often said, "Look, all we're doing is bottom turns." Like, and, I, <laughs> and so what, what I mean is, sometimes those fishes where yeah, I go down the line. Oh my god, I'm going fast by just by the nature of the board, and I'm doing a couple turns and I'm throwing my hands like this, and I'm now quote unquote ripping, and that's all I aspire to. Like I'm. And, you know, I'm sort of a bad example because I'm 50-something, but I wonder if the demo of 25-year-olds is like, that's really all I want to do is kind of go fast like I would do on my longboard skateboard or whatever. And I'm not going to do fins out, Dane Godowskis, Tanner Godowskis, Pat Godowskis, no. power turns. No, that's hard. Yeah. That is really hard to do. So what's the point? And so, and I've even seen like Pizel. I, I randomly saw an Instagram post of three f- colored fishes by Pizel, mm-hmm. which is like sort of off brand a little bit in yep. my mind. Not that he couldn't do it. 
and and Matt's the same way at Lost. You, you you'll see some of his own personal boards are basically you know boards that I would ride that I'm going to go fast down the line and maybe do a half of a check turn and throw my hands a certain way and call it good. And that might be the demographic of that we should maybe be focusing on. Yeah, agreed. Because at the end of the day, you mentioned it, we just want to have fun, and I'm not going to have fun on a little chippy thing that I'm not, I could never ride anyway. Yeah, yeah. So the rocket wide is something I should take a peek at. Spine tech technology, spine tech. It's an EPS board. I like poly boards. I like the flex. I like the the give. I've often thought that the best thing to do is to get a poly-made custom. As soon as it's done, give it one day and then ride the crap out of it at your spot so that it starts to – it's still moist, but it starts to uh, bend and flex. You're to, one of those guys. To what, yeah, and I, <laughs> I could be way wrong, but I've always had this thought that, you know, I know I'm going to wreck the board, but it's going to – it's going to – it's going to – mold your feet. Yeah, and yeah. all of that stuff, and to yeah. the way that I'm – um, so why would I want an EPS spine tech surfboard? Because it's not available in, in polyurethane. EPS yet. versus poly. Um, is your average consumer going to notice a difference? Yeah. I, I think how they notice a difference is, is, is a question, but you can even touching it, you can feel the difference. And it's just, I'm going to, not use the correct engineering terms, but there's something about the resonance of the boards, the way the energy passes through EPS foam versus polyurethane, like a high frequency versus a low frequency. Um, right, so the poly, I like to use the word dampening. Yeah, yeah. And the That's other one's sort of chatter. Yes. Which is a negative connotation for me, the term chatter. So I've always been put off by the concept of EPS foam. Yeah, it's like a real high, like a, like a tuning fork. It's real ping, you know, where, right. where you, have a, you have a lower frequency on, on the polyurethane, which uh, the spine tech, what we found, the, the spine uh, being a composite, fiberglass composite, is acting as a spring. You felt it down there. It actually loads up and unloads. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's serving to, to reduce the frequency or, or slow down the frequency and also store energy so you can load and unload the board and dampens it. So the good thing about EPS is there is a small buoyancy component to it and is a bit lighter. And depending on your layup, it can be a little more resilient, like last longer. So with the, with the spine in it, um, we're finding that it reduces the, the, the chatter. So you're getting a little bit of the, uh, the positives and reducing some of the negatives associated with an EPS construction. Uh, but for the most part, polyurethane still wins the day with the top 2% of surfers because it really is um, still like the, the better performing material. But uh, you can go down this. Well, what about biopoly? Because like, obviously it's like, well, why don't we just do poly? And the, the reason is, well, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an environmental mess. So then I think about these biopolys. Um, can you speak to those? Do you guys have any connection to, to biofoam, to, to that algae foam specifically that's, that's a poly? It's a poly foam, right? It's a polyurethane foam. It's just comes well, off it's, of uh, Is that the future? It's, an, it's a – without like, recalling my chemistry right now, um, I don't know if it's the future. We built them, but um, – they haven't come back with super positive feedback from, from the team. Hmm. But is it the future? Yeah, sure, it's the future. We've got to get smarter about, about what we're building. Yeah. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, good question. I, I don't know where the, the polyurethane is, is going. Right. Yeah. Poly dampens. I'm a big fan of the poly. But we're, we've got... We've got a way now to to put the spine in, in polyurethane. Cool. So that's something that's something new, and, and you get a lot of technology uh, in EPS because the bulk of your quote unquote technology is coming from Asia, right? right? And those factories are very good at, at blowing EPS. Yeah, it's cheap. Yeah, and they're good with working with epoxy because epoxy is very labor intensive. Right. And the advantage you have when you build boards in age is low cost of labor. Right. So it, EPS isn't necessarily more technological. It's been around forever. Yeah. It's just what comes out of that region of the world. Right. So you got people that are associating EPS and epoxy with technology. Well, it's not because it's just it is technology. Thing. It's just what's easier for, for, for them to build. Right. Um, the, you know, the highest level of guys still still surf polyurethane. So we're here, we're working on a way that we can incorporate technology with polyurethane. And then to your point, if you can get some of that algae-based polyurethane, then you're getting better performance with technology and better eco, right? So yeah. that's something that, that we're looking at. When do you think a world champion, has a world champion ever won on an epoxy surfboard? Uh, not to my knowledge. Do you think it'll ever happen? Or is poly oh, just poly's just the way it's going now? I would say no, but um, you know, the, we, Kelly surfed EPS uh, a long time. It's like last four or five years here, so maybe mm -hmm. he won on one. I, I can't recall. No, but a world title? Yeah, I can't recall. Hmm. Okay, before we go, I don't want to forget this. Um, I've always thought, look, we need to know how many boards are made domestically. With that information, I think that information is super important. And why don't we have that information? I, I suspect the blank companies aren't forthcoming with their sales figures. Because that's where you ascertain that information is from the blank manufacturers. Because I would say 80% of the boards out there are not sold at retail. They're sold but from guys down the street. You know, I mean, like everyone's a board builder. How many? I got board builders on my block. Yeah. What other industry can you wake up in the morning and be a brand by lunch? Yeah. You know, you open an Instagram account and you go down to Fiberglass Hawaii. You can have you can have a kit, a starter kit, and you can be you can be in the surfboard game. So that, but again, that's that's that inside out model I talked about, where you you start with a passion or a need for a board. And it comes from its very core. And then you can be... So the other thing is when they talk about ascertaining the number of boards that are, that are sold and, and talking about wholesale and the surf shops. And people say, oh, well, you're, we're not in every surf shop and we're not in every surf shop. But the top 20% of the surf shops do 80% of the sales from a wholesale perspective. You only need to be in those select accounts to get most of the market. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be in those small accounts because again, they're they have a hard time managing their cash. They have a hard time paying their bills. Even the big guys do. Yeah. So, um, you don't, you don't need to be widely distributed and that's why it's really hard to say how many boards are made because pretty much there's gotta be thousands of builders 
building anywhere from five boards a year to 5,000 boards a year. You just don't know. Do you think it's important to know, though? Do you think that's a number that would, in a perfect world, we could be able to go, yeah, there's X amount. We know. Therefore, we can go to a legislator and say, hey, here's the number. We'd like you to look into tariffs or, you know. Oh, that's a good question. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that perspective of taking that to, so like a domestic industry. Like, yeah. Like quantifying how much that's, that's playing into our economy. Um, yeah, I think that would be important. But I think uh, if we were serious, being, we being the domestic board builders, we could probably do that our, our, ourselves and say, hey, here's, we employ 50 people here. You know, here's how much that you know, income tax and property tax and they're paying and all this stuff goes back into the economy. If all those guys dry up, that's an impact to your local community. And you take that of hundreds of board builders throughout Southern California that are hopefully compliant and paying their taxes. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe that's an approach if if people want to get serious about about the uh, tariff thing. I, I don't know. Yeah, Scott, we said a lot. Yeah, Scott Anderson, the general manager of Channel Island Surfboards. What have I missed? What have we not spoken to? Oh man, I got fifty years to cover. It's a lot, so I'm sure we missed missed something. But it's been enjoyable, man. I've, I've had a we're gonna have a, a good huge time party chatting. here. That's right. We're party gonna have plans. all of the Channel Islands ambassadors here. Kelly and Rob are gonna be on a stage singing and making music and celebrating <laughs> Al and his wife and the Channel Islands team. It's gonna be good. Yeah, there's yeah. gonna be a lot of Instagram about it. I think we've said it all. All right, man. Thanks for taking the time. Yes, yeah, Scott, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it very much. It's been a pleasure. Everyone who thirsts come to the water. You ain't got no money. Without money, without price Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy
Yeah. 